Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 362 of a jubilant, excited, bouncing off the walls DBR podcast. I'm Jason Evans. I'm your host here. We are here to talk about what happened last night, the Blue Devils beating the number one ranked Gonzaga Bulldogs 84 to 81. I am joined, as I always am, by Donald and Sam. We are all in crazy places because it's the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Um, Sam, I'll go to you first. Where, where, where are you? What's going on in your world? I am uh, at my girlfriend's parents' house in New Jersey, and it was I was just watching the game basically by myself last night. No other Duke fans in the house, but uh, it was it, despite that there was it felt like there was a ton of adrenaline in the room. Like yeah. I was I was fired up to be watching this. I was texting a couple of people throughout the game. Um, I, I th- this was even even from at home. It was electric last night in Vegas. I can't wait to hear from Donald about what it was like to be in the arena. Yeah, so I was at home. My uh, my my brother in law, my my sister in law, family came in town. My brother in law went to Duke. Um, you know, he's a huge Duke fan. Listens to the podcast, and and I was watching with my kids, his kids, and him. I'm just like pacing around the sofa and stuff like that. You know, it's one of those games where you have so much energy watching it that you you know you just can't help but be. I, my oh, heart was beating. I was, really hard. I was, I was like jumping up and down. I was, I told oh, yeah. you, I was by myself. I was like jumping up and down on the couch, and I had to like, I had to like kind of keep it cool because there were like people <laughs> in the house because it was like eleven o'clock <laughs> at night when the game started. So, and I had to, we had to sit through the end of that freaking uh, NC State UNC football game, which at that least was fun. Ended, that was fun. Yeah, at least it ended the way that Duke fans would have wanted, but it ended about forty-five minutes later than Duke fans would have wanted. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, we, of course, are amateurs when it comes to our viewing experience on this compared to Donald Wine. Donald was in the arena. I mean, I'm talking about how electric it was in my living room. Look, (laughs) okay, I have to give I have to give people this this progression. Right. So me, my dad, my brother, we arrived on Tuesday. There weren't a lot of Duke fans around. There's a lot of Gonzaga fans here because they have been here all week. The team played at T-Mobile Arena twice. Uh, in the warm-up for this game, including that game we mentioned against UCLA a few days ago. So as the days have been progressing before this game, you start to see more and more Duke shirts around yesterday. My God, Sam, you were the only one in your room. There was a couple more Duke fans in my room with me. Uh, that play, that play, that building was, first of all, T-Mobile Arena, absolutely beautiful. Uh, one of the, honestly, one of the best in like arenas, NBA, uh, NHL arenas that I've been in. It is magnificent. Second of all, that place was all like electric the entire game. Gonzaga fans were on it. Duke fans were on it. Neutral fans were on it. I, I will say this. The funniest part of the day was walking. We were, I was walking to kind of meet up with some uh, line monitor friends. And I was walking on a bridge and some guy comes up to me and he goes, Tar Heel Nation, and got booed off the bridge by both fan bases. <laughs> <laughs> and Duke were like, get out of it. Like, you, you do not belong in, in Vegas. Go, go, go about your business. Uh, but yeah, yesterday was absolutely fantastic. And awesome. I will say there was, there was, I mean, there's playful banter between teams. Like, you know, you, you have these neutral site games. When we play Kentucky, there's a lot of banter back and forth, but it's a little more mean spirited. Last night, Everyone was great. There was a couple of people who were just kind of like, no one was getting each other's faces, but there was a lot of banter back and forth. But at the end of the game, a lot of people were just like, that was a game for the ages. So I, I keep talking about the actual game. Let's actually talk about the game. Yes. So we will, we will start with the headline. Um, guys, I want to hear from you. What, you know, what's your headline? What's your, what, what, what's the, uh, the, the one liner you got to sum up this, this contest, Donald man in the stands. What's yours? 
Duke hits blackjack and win for the ages over number one Gonzaga. I like I like the Vegas theme. I like it a lot. Sam, what you got? I had cramp touch this. Paulo Bancaro dominates Gonzaga. <laughs> <laughs> That's that good. Might, that, honestly, that might be the best headline that we've had on the show. That, Dude, was that is really Perfect. good. Uh, oh, mine is just terrible now. Um, I have Zags losses no longer zip. Um, because Ooh, I, you know, I like that. I like that I like too. That. Jason's Jason's is a little bit more uh, is a little bit more sort of you know nineteen forties uh, alliteration. You got that, yeah, yeah. sort of classic. Like like I have to do uh, I have to do the uh, you know the the boys in blue have have uh, have prevailed over the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Like you have to do it in that voice. That was great, man. Thank you. You could be a black and white uh, uh, newsreel announcer <laughs> with that voice. That's really well done. <laughs> so so blue devil, the blue devils are on their way to the sixth national championship <laughs> <laughs> from the oh. 1940s to 2021 let's go let's do it oh we're going to be using that <laughs> all right so uh, uh before we get to the good and the bad and by the way we'll take a little commercial break between the good and the bad to to catch our breaths but uh i i do want to give folks just a couple a couple interesting numbers related to this game, guys, before we get specifically to our good, because I think it's worth mentioning. As Donald said, beautiful arena to see the game in. 20,389 people in attendance. The largest crowd, largest crowd in the history of the state of Nevada to see a basketball game. So uh, the people, they were there. Before yeah. you, Jason, before you move on from that, they kept mentioning the attendance record, the, the like Nevada state attendance record, et cetera, et cetera. Did either of you or did Duke fans out there sort of have like one final 1991 national championship kind of feel. I mean, like it, it's, it, it's very old at this point, but, but like one more nail in the coffin for the UNLV program, just to be like, and Duke is better than you at drawing attendance <laughs> in the home state. Well, to be fair, the first, I think the very first college basketball game that was at T-Mobile arena was when Duke played UNLV that year that it opened. And that was the record that was set. Mind you, they talk about the Duke effect and people were like, oh, well, Gonzaga was there. Like I mentioned, Gonzaga's played two games in T-Mobile Arena this week and they could not break the record attendance. And the number of tickets sold had broken a record before the game, before people started walking in. Like the final number was way larger. But on Tuesday, Duke already knew that they had set the record uh, for tickets sold. So I, again, not a, there was not a seat empty in that place. And I'm pretty sure there was not a stitch of sideline that was, that was uh, empty either. So, so the other numbers, the other stats that I wanted to get into was a little bit about number one teams and Duke facing number one teams. Have, you, have either of you guys done the research? Do you know the last time Duke beat a number one team? It was 2014 against Syracuse. Um, uh, uh, Mike Krzyzewski has now Is that the won. jacket toss game. Uh, I believe it was. I believe it was. Nice call. Well, it was uh, because because we went. Uh, Duke lost the game at Syracuse that year, mm-hmm. right? That was when when Rodney Hood missed the dunk. And then the return game at, at, at Cameron, I guess Syracuse was ranked number one then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, all I know is it was in the 2014 season um, uh, is the last time that Duke had beaten a number one ranked team. Um, Mike Krzyzewski now has won seven games, seven career wins against the number one ranked team. Um, he ties Gary Williams for the second most wins all time against the number one ranked team. The guy who has the record is Roy Williams, who has eight wins against number one ranked teams. I, I believe it is significant and tells you something about who has dominated college basketball historically, that the top three guys in beating number one teams are all ACC coaches. 
and they mostly got it by beating each other. <laughs> right. Mar Maryland, UNC, and Duke just sort of uh, uh, trading victories over each other throughout the, the 80s and 90s and, and 2000s. Um, by the way, Coach K, re really interesting, started his career by going 0-5 against number one ranked teams. Since then, he is 7-6. and six. I want you to think about that for a minute because you're not favored in any of those games, are you? If you're playing the number one team, you are not favored at all. So uh, the Blue Devils seven and six in those games. I can't remember the last time Duke was a nine point underdog in a game. Uh, that was the other thing. They uh, before we get into the specifics of it, they really harped on the fact that the brotherhood was really harping on the fact that we were a nine point underdogs uh, before the game and after the game. Duke had a little clip from Quinn Cook back in 2015 where he goes, "Duke is never an underdog." No, like, I we saw that. I love. We that. don't play that. We're never an underdog when we're Duke University, and it, it goes to that record that you were talking about, Jason, of us against number one teams. You have to remember seven and six in the course of like 40 years. It's not a lot of games. Why? Because most of the games that we're playing, we're the one that's the number one team. So that is that's something to be said that even when we are not number one, we are still playing really well against number one teams. Yeah. Duke, by the way, has played more games as the number one ranked team in the land than any team in college basketball history. 283 games Duke has played as the number one team in college basketball. And we don't know for sure, but it looks I think it's fairly likely it's going to be Duke or Purdue. I think it'll be Purdue. If we're going there, I think it'll I was going to say that there's that there's a chance that Duke, if it's not this week, there's a there's a mm -hmm. chance that Duke gets to spend some time at number one this season. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, we can debate it and there's no reason to because we're not voters in the AP poll and, and not that it means much of anything. I actually think Duke's probably going to leapfrog Purdue because Gonzaga was considered so far and away the best team for you to go to a neutral floor to beat them. Not on a fluke, a, a game where Duke led throughout the whole game. There were you know, a couple moments in the second half, Gonzaga took a small lead. It was a tight game, but for, for Duke to have done what they did against a team as respected as Gonzaga, I think it's going to be awful hard for voters to go, oh, no, now I think this other team is better than I, – I just think Duke's going to be number one. But, but we can get more into that later. Let's, let's start with the good. Um, and, uh, Sam, I'll go to you first um, because you won the headline contest. Uh, <laughs> so give me your good from this game um uh boy there's there's a lot to talk about isn't there well why don't we why don't we start with the narrative that uh, it doesn't even feel like espn was forcing the narrative on us the the narrative sort of wrote itself that this game was paulo versus chet and so i'll i'll say that like you could start the good today i think with any of three players paulo wendell moore jr and mark williams who all had fabulous games i'll start with paulo because he was the he was kind of the headliner of this game at the beginning and and he just played absolutely masterfully in the first half um the 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 shooting and the offense would be the most obvious place to start but you could also go on defense where he was frustrating Chet Holmgren Holmgren had to sit with fouls uh for a good chunk of the first half which gave Paulo then a little bit more space to to do what he was doing he was leading the fast break he was getting out for uh, transition threes and and hitting them like the 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 level of confidence that he had on on some of those three point shots and the longer twos is a level that you don't really see very often from college players. I feel like Duke Duke fans have been lucky enough over the last few years to have a couple of these guys come through the program. Jason Tatum sort of felt like this. There were games when he would heat up like that. Uh, Jabari Parker would heat up like that. But Paulo just just is so in the flow of the offense in this game 
getting baskets. So I think I would start the good with Paulo Bancaro and just how thoroughly he dominated. We talked about before the game, and maybe maybe this is the transition to talk about Mark Williams. We talked about how it might be a fairly fair fight, all things considered, between Duke's front court of, of Paulo and Mark Williams against Gonzaga's front court of Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. It did not play out like that last night. Duke's no, front not, court yeah. was much better than Gonzaga's. Some of that was foul trouble, which you know, is only, is only sort of in your, in your control, but in the time when they were on, you know, Paulo had to sit for a good chunk of the second half with the cramps. And even then uh, still felt like he was the dominant force in this game. So, so I'm going to dictate guys that what we're going to do here is we're going through the good. I agree. Sam's right. We each are going to want to talk about Paulo, Mark and Wendell. So, uh, so before, rather than getting to, to Mark Williams and, and the big men in general, let's, let's stay on, on Paulo. Uh, I just want to really quickly point out, you know, the the thing about him that showed how impactful he was in this game, and you should never get too much into plus minus, he was plus 13 in this game, far and away, the, the highest plus minus of anybody on the Duke team. And, and Duke was a different team in the first half with him versus in the second half, especially, you know, the first, oh, 10 minutes or so of the second half when he was clearly, you know, he's playing a little bit, but you could tell the cramps were coming on. And then he had to sit for a while while he got that IV. By the way, in the post game, he talked about the fact that, it, you know, he was cramping up and he had to go in the locker room and get an IV. He said his quads, both quads just seized up on him. Um, but he said he was in the locker room screaming at the TV. <laughs> you know? oh, he was he was fired up. He was he was feeling it the whole night. And and it felt like in the first half when when he had the ball or when he was even remotely involved in the play, that things were going well for Duke. Like whether Gonzaga made the basket, it felt like as long as Paulo was in the game, that Duke was still in control and was basically able to hold Gonzaga at arm's length whenever he was in, which speaks, Jason, to, to the plus minus that you brought up. Paulo knew what game this was. We, we talked about it on the, on the preview show. Paulo has had this date circled since he got here, he knew he was who he was playing. He knew the comparisons. He knew the storyline. He was like in a, in a game of a bunch of storylines. He was going to make sure that this one was going to checkmark Paulo Bancaro because he came out on fire. He had that one uh, and one where he went at Chet Holmgren, drew the foul on him, made it and literally like put his put his arm up right in his face to say, look, I'm stronger than you. I'm better than you. And he wanted to show that. And so he had a couple of sequences where he, you know, got a rebound over someone or like was able to, you know, Mark Williams was able to force a block of which we'll talk about. He had five in the first half. He forced a block. Paulo Bancaro basically stripped the ball uh, from the, from the, uh, from the loose ball outletted real quick, ran all the way down the court and had a transition three. And he looked at like, looked down the court as if to say like, this is my building. This is my gym. Nobody on this quarter is, is better than me, including that dude number 34 that everyone keeps talking about. He wanted this really bad. And you can tell in the second half, Jason, when he was on the bench, he was on the bench on the, and I was in that end zone. He was on the bench and he was still like every five seconds trying to get up. And like the trainer's like, no, sit, sit down. I need to work. I need to work on your quad <laughs> in a game. That man was energized the entire game and it fed on the rest of the team. And, and, and you know, by the way, it, Paulo admitted in the post-game press conference that that he was somewhat limited when he came back in the second half after the cramps. He was somewhat limited that he knew, you know, his legs, the cramps were so bad that he knew there was sort of he couldn't, you know, be fully explosive, do everything he wanted. Look, he only scores one point in the second half, but just his presence on the floor, um, you know, he has a gravitational force on the opposing defense. Um, it gives Duke extra confidence, gives Duke's extra size on the inside. 
it, it really is super important. This is the this was Paulo's uh, Paul Pierce getting carried off the <laughs> off the floor in the yeah. in the playoffs game. Yeah, totally. Just his, just the fact that he showed back up was was enough to to cut like was enough for Jeremy Roach to make one basket at the end of the game. Like <laughs> that was the that was the force behind it. <laughs> All right, so so we're gonna get now to the next big man, uh, Mark Williams. I'll take the lead on this one. Um, Mark, I, you know, I can't believe that the official statistician has him down for five block shots because that's just uh, he had more than five block shots. He al- he altered at least he altered at least six more. Like, what are they counting? What are-, what are they counting that he only had five? And by the way, he had more than five because they called goaltending on one of them in the first half. It was not a goaltend, and the second half. He cleanly blocked Drew Timmy, like not even a question about it. And, and they called a foul, which could have been if Duke had lost this game, I'd be losing my mind at the rest right now because that could have been a huge turning point in the game. If you're looking for Duke people to follow this season on Twitter, um, one of the other best, than us, other than us, other than us. <laughs> sure. sure. Uh, I don't tweet it. I would not say that, that like you have to follow me. I don't tweet enough for that. Donald and, uh, and, and, and the DBR uh, account do enough. but the. One of the people low key that you should definitely be following is Elizabeth Williams, uh, noted Duke legend in and of herself and and older sister of Mark Williams, because she she gets all up in the in the game uh, when when this stuff is going. I think she tweeted last night. She was like, look, I don't know what this five blocks things is about. Mark had at least seven blocks. I counted them all. (laughs) I was watching. I know what I'm doing here. So uh, also she retweeted. Uh, she always likes to retweet things about Mark Williams from his childhood when she was at Duke. Obviously, we all know her her name and number are in the rafters. In the rafters yeah. And she tweeted from her press conference when she announced that she was going to Duke. And if you guys recall back, Mark Williams was the person who revealed the shirt that said Duke and not her. So he she has a picture of a very, very young Mark Williams with a shirt. And she he was like she basically like he's been Duke since forever. And Again, he showed up and really, really played. He he also took personally the fact that everyone was talking about Chet Holmgren because he's like, "Hey guys, I'm seven one with a seven six wing with swingspan too. What what about me?" He was, I mean, he had a couple of yans where he like he was sending oh my statements God. with those. He, he took souls. There was there was one of those slams where he came down the lane. He took away Drew Timmy's soul on that. <laughs> and, and on the other and on the other end of the court, I said in the preview. I thought Chet Holmgren was going to block five shots and Mark Williams was going to get three. I was wrong. I, I, I had that, it backwards. Yeah. Turns out uh, Chet Holmgren, limited by fouls, only got only got three blocks in this game. Altered a few more shots than that. I think we'll we'll talk. I'm sure more about Chet Holmgren, but Mark Williams not just blocking the five shots and the two that should have been called but were called incorrectly, but altering shots everywhere, all over the basket. Even Chet Holmgren, who has those long arms, and even Drew Timmy, who has all the post moves that you could want for a college player were frustrated by Mark Williams's presence in the paint. Yeah. And, and let's talk about him offensively as well. I mean, yes, a lot of them were dunks, but he had a couple very nice um, like hook shots and stuff. He was eight of eight, eight of eight on two point shot. He took a three pointer <laughs> may not have been. That was, can we save that for the bad? <laughs> may not we'll save that for the things thing. to improve. Yeah. Right. <laughs> three point shooting. He didn't look uh, off. Marshall Plumley. Marshall Plumley. He is not. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I think Mark's going to take more three-pointers as the season moves on, and he'll, he may make some of them. But Just like, just like Marquise Bolden was going to take was going to make seven three-pointers uh, in, in his last season. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, God. You're going you're gonna to pull that out on me? Anyway, mm-hmm. I, hey, I, I did want to say, and uh, combining Theo John as well, I thought our bigs 
absolutely battled the the highly touted Gonzaga big line um, to uh, not even not even to a, a, a draw. Uh, we we really we probably uh, we won the battle of the bigs. Paulo, Mark, and Theo combined for forty three points and sixteen rebounds, and and Mark's five block shots. That's really eight. Should we just let's just stop calling it five and just call it eight? Can we settle? Is eight the right number? Eight. And it's a total. The DBR official was, is is eight block shots for Mark Williams. There, there was definitely a point in the game when when I thought Mark Williams was going for the uh, points, rebounds, blocks, triple double. Yeah, like, yeah, that was it was in play. Yeah. All right, guys. So so let's get to the third guy who had a really outstanding game, Wendell Moore. Um, Donald, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Uh, wow, uh, you, there's nothing to be said about how important um, experienced leaders are. Did did you hear what did you hear what Coach K had to say about him after the game? Sorry. I did. Yeah, it was it was. I mean, just him saying like our leader, our captain was was the reason we won tonight, and it was because Wendell Moore in the second half was incredible. He, I mean, he ended up with the stat line that we're used to seeing so far this year: twenty points, six rebounds, six assists four steals and one championship belt as MVP of the game uh, of which there was an MVP of this game. Uh, they had like a whole ceremony and everything, which is funny. But anyway, I, I thought Wendell Moore deserved that because his leadership. And again, it's not just the stats of which he has a lot of them. It's the fact that he was able to calm guys down. He, he made some key free throws at the end of which we'll talk about a little bit later. And, and really just any single point that there was a momentum shift or guys seemed like that they were rushing things. He was there to kind of calm things down on the court or in the huddle saying, let's, let's just regroup and focus on this next play and do it really well. So like hats off to window more. He's been doing it all year, but we needed him last night to be window more because we said before that he was going to be the X factor that Gonzaga doesn't have. He, he proved to be that and more. And Donald, you highlighted Wendell Moore's four steals. I think that's four steals among many that Duke had in this game. The on defense, as as well as Mark Williams was playing, blocking shots and and frustrating guys around the rim. The defensive pressure started on the outside and in the pass. It started in the in the press, but also in the passing lanes where uh, Moore and and to some extent Trevor Keels and and a couple other guys were really frustrating Gonzaga's ability to to run its motion offense and get the ball inside to to Timmy and Holmgren, the, the, the kind of offense that they really want. And in the couple of moments where Coach K called for the zone press, particularly at the end of the game, but it happened a couple other times in the game, Coach K calls for the zone press. Wendell Moore is the most annoying uh, I say this in the best way. Wendell Moore is the most <laughs> annoying guy to be facing in that zone press. He got the one Jason Williams type steal and bucket off of off of one of those inbounds, mm-hmm. and and I love getting to see Wendell Moore playing this well on defense. The amount of uh, progress that he made over the summer, not just getting better offensively, but just just all around in his game has been so fun to watch. And I was I was talking to someone before the game. I said uh, I love. That I, I know we said this um, at the beginning of the season, but I love having Emil Jefferson back on the sideline for Duke because he's just like the, the, the kind of guy you want out there. Wendell Moore feels like he's got all of the the Emil Jefferson, Nolan Smith, Chris Carrawell energy, just like completely bottled up and going in the right direction. So, so my thing on Wendell is uh, he had he had been putting up these these gaudy numbers um, uh, against okay competition not really great competition this this was his coming out party for the national media 26 and 6 
being the absolute leader of the team. And, and that play, Sam alluded to it, with four and a half minutes left, game's tied at 73, and he makes that steal and, and, then, and then gets fouled. Uh, it, it, you know, by the way, down the stretch, hits five out of six free throws. But he's the guy who, who got the steal and gave Duke the lead that Duke would never relinquish throughout the rest of the game. Um, he, he was a quintessential upperclassman leader. There's just no other way to say it than that. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I think Wendell Moore is embarking on what's going to be an All-American, maybe not first team, maybe second team, but an All-American season. And, and, and this, was, this was absolutely the beginning of it in terms of folks on the national stage recognizing him. We talked about how Paulo was sort of leading the team in the first half and that it felt like Duke was in control as long as as long as he was in there and making plays. If you look at the the win expectancy chart on Ken Palm, with a little over five minutes left in the game, five and a half minutes left in the game, Gonzaga had taken a, the lead back. If you remember, this is Paulo's yes. out with the cramps. Yeah. Uh, Duke's having to play, you know, multiple bench guys. There was a point where both Paulo and Wendell were out of the game, where Duke had to resort to to a deeper bench. It was like you know all of. Theo John and Joey Baker and AJ Griffin were out there playing for Duke and, and it, the offense wasn't flowing well. Moore comes back in at, at one point with five and a half minutes left. Gonzaga has an about an 85% chance of winning the game, according to Ken Palm. And then it just plummets as, as Wendell Moore is making plays. So he was actually the key at the end of the game to sealing the victory for Duke. Yeah. Hey, hey, Donald, so we've talked about some of the players. Let's, let's get to the crowd, get to the atmosphere. Is that part of your good? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, this game had Final Four vibes written all over it, and you could feel it in the building. You could feel it outside the building. You could feel it on the strip. Like, everyone was locked in for this game. Gonzaga fans, like I said, they were there. They were on it. Hats off to all of them that traveled. They were out in full force. Duke fans, it was like a reunion. In fact, it was a reunion. It was like people, I mean, I was in line for security. I'm next to Demarcus Nelson, who's next to Kenny Denard, who's next to other former players and cheerleaders and coaches. And, you know, everyone was out there. The lights were on. This was this was what they wanted from this game in Vegas. Everyone was there. Everyone was dialed in, and it became a show for the ages. It's one of honestly, it is one of the great regular season college basketball games that I have witnessed in person. It was that great. Both teams played very well. Of course, we're going to get to the bad, but before we even get to the bad, I just want to say that like there was nothing bad about this game in my mind. This was a Final Four game. We will see this team again. It may not be in March. It may be in April, but this, I mean, we saw probably the two best teams in college basketball play last night, and it was incredible, just an incredible show of support for both teams and for the Duke fans especially. That Let's Go Duke chant, that was going at the end of the game on the concourses, walking out of the building felt so good that that's what you want to feel every single game, but especially for big games like this, where everybody rose to the challenge. Hey, before we wrap up our good, there are a couple kind of macro big picture things that I want to talk about um, specifically fouls and turnovers. And, and by fouls, I mean this drawing fouls and as a result, getting free throws. I found a great stat. Um, Wendell Moore, led the Blue Devils in fouls drawn with seven. Trevor Keels had six. Mark Williams had five. No one on Gonzaga drew more than five fouls in this game. Um, so for those three guys to have drawn fouls on the Gonzaga big men to get to the free throw line 
was a huge key to this game. And the other thing that goes hand in hand with it, you guys know, I always talk about field goal attempts. I'm a huge fan of field goal. You know, if you take a shot, you have a chance for it to go in. If you don't take a shot, <laughs> you, you, you can't, you don't necessarily score any points. So Duke managed to take more shots than Gonzaga by a, by a margin of 67 to 64. Um, Duke did that despite shooting 14 more free throws than Gonzaga, which is really rare that you would shoot a lot more free throws and also get more field goals. And, and, and it's because, and this is what I'm going to tell you, the reason Duke won this game was Duke did not commit turnovers. Duke held on to the ball. Duke had eight turnovers in this game. Comes in the back of just a few days ago. We only had three turnovers against the Citadel. Um, for Duke to play a game at this speed against this quality of an opponent, an experienced team that, that is long and athletic and plays good team defense and only had eight turnovers was truly impressive. And the, 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 the way you really see it, points off turnover, did you guys see the stat? Duke won points off turnover 23 to 2. 23 to 2 in a game we win by three points. Points off turnover, not committing turnovers, getting a lot more free throws, and also getting more field goals. That's how Duke wins this game because Gonzaga outshot us. It's that we got more attempts because we didn't turn the ball over and because we got to the free throw line. And because, as I said before, Duke was playing so much frustrating defense that Gonzaga, as good as Gonzaga's offense is and as sophisticated as it is, and as good as Julian Struthers was playing, never really got in the flow that they want. Like, they scored 81 points, and it felt – this is probably the scary thing about Gonzaga, is that they scored 81, and it feels like with just a little bit more fine-tuning, they could easily score 95. Yeah, and, and really, when you talk about the turnovers – this game was played at sometimes at breakneck speed. Both teams, not necessarily out of control, but it was very, very fast. Up and back, up and back, up and back. You, you almost you almost need to catch your breath watching the game at times. But for Duke, they were able to do it within control. There was a couple of times where they would make a quick basket. Gonzaga would try to go all the way down, and they'd throw the ball away, or they'd throw the ball in Wendell Moore, or Trevor Keels would go and grab it. And then we're coming back the other way. Those are big swings that we had and those two, four, five point swings, those all added up because it meant that Gonzaga had to play even faster to try and catch up. And that is where you make mistakes. So those mistakes that they were making that we were forcing them into. And like you said, Jason, keeping, keeping the basketball in our hands meant that we had more opportunities to score and all of those points, as we see add up and they made the difference. Yeah. You know, Sam, you talked a little bit about defense. Duke is now all the way up to number 15 in the nation in uh, defensive efficiency, according to, to Ken Pomeroy. And, and it's worth noting, we were 21st coming into this game. We're now up to number 15. It's worth noting that, that all of that got thrown off a little bit because one of Duke's seven games is that weird outlier against the Citadel where they, you know, they hit an ungodly number of three-pointers, which just kills your efficiency. I think that you know, as that game gets devalued more and more, you're going to see this Duke team rising higher and higher in Ken Palm defensive uh, efficiency, which, Sam, you say is one of the most important stats to, to note um, uh, about Duke on the season. So we're up to number 15 right now, and we are rising. That was the number one offensive team in the land by a lot. And, and frankly, the fact that we held them to 81 is a big deal. Um, yeah, you know, th th that's a team that Gonzaga is going to score 80 points a lot this season. Like, oh, yeah. that is that is expected of them. They have they have a lot of creators and finishers and guys who can do stuff that almost no other college player can. 
And, but it's also, and, as I said, Duke basically held them at arm's length for 30 minutes of this game. And, and, and we did it while, while playing at a decent pace. Like, look, you can keep Gonzaga under 80 if you hold on the ball and, and, and never fast break, you know, if you play Virginia style. Um, but to do it at the pace we were playing is really impressive. And also for us to be able to score 80 points as well, we're going to have a lot of 80 point games throughout the season as well. If we're going to, if, if people want to play at that speed, we showed last night that we can hang with that and even play better playing at the, at an up-tempo pace. So we want to get on transition just as well. We want to, you know, hand, hound them on defense as well. We want quick shots from them so we can take the ball and go. Being able to score 80 points in that type of environment is, is really, really good because again, no one's scoring, like very few teams score 80 points when we're talking about the later parts of March and April. So if you're able to do that against a really good team like Gonzaga, you take that to the bank because in April, they know that you can do that. They know you can break for 80 at any point, and that means you're going to win a lot of ball games. Yeah. By the way, speaking of tempo, there were 79 possessions in that game. Um, that's the fastest tempo we played at all season long, including some of these, you know, games against lesser teams where you're kind of racing up and down the floor a lot more. So really, really fast pace for that game. And the Blue Devils end up winning it. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. Hey, it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't all dessert. It wasn't all delicious, you know, stuff. There's a little bit of veggies we got to deal with. We will have the bad from the Gonzaga game after this. Okay, we're back from the break, and it's time for us to talk about the bad from the Gonzaga game. Not, not a lot here. <laughs> this probably won't be a super long segment, um, because frankly, even, even the stuff that was bad in this game, you feel good about the way Duke dealt with it. Donald, I'll come to you first. Uh, what, what you got for us? I'm going to bet you're going to talk about those pesky free throws. Oh, my goodness. The, like I said, there is not a lot of bad in this game. In fact, I don't think there's a lot of bad. I'm going to call this nitpicky because this is something we've been talking about. The free throws in the first half and most of the second half, we need to work. We need to do better on that. Particularly, we've, I think we blew at least four one-and-ones by missing the front end. And, that meant, and then on two of those, Gonzaga went back down and hit a three, which means that's a five-point swing right there. And again, when we're talking about momentum and stuff, you don't want things like that where you're missing the front of a one-on-one only for a team to come back down and hit a three in your face and, and have that point swing like that. So I, I think we did better towards the end of the game. Like when, when it really, you know, crunch time, you know, Wendell Moore hit a few, I believe Trevor Keels hit a couple and Jeremy Roach hit, hit one or two, but we need to do a lot better with free throws because again, this game could have been over five minutes before if we had hit 75% of our free throws. We only hit 60%. And that's coming down from you know the Citadel where we hit 93% of our free throws. And again, we just said, hey, if we take 75%, that's fine. But you have to make the front end of one-on-ones because that's free, free, free money right there. You have to make those. And those were some of the things that kept Gonzaga in this ballgame. You know, it wasn't just that we missed 60%. Like you said, those front ends of one-on-one makes that 60% even less and, and, and somewhat related to that. Um, Duke didn't have a great game from three, only, only at 30% of our threes. We only hit 46% of all of our field goals. Gonzaga hit 53% of their field goals in the game. You know, again, it's one of these things where if you look at the stats, you're like, there's no way Duke won this game. We found a way to win it anyway. On the offensive end, because I, I think that that's where most of Duke's trouble still is. I, some of that is, look, you're, you're just going to have nights where you don't make a lot of shots from three. That's what it looked like tonight. It does seem to be a bit more of a challenge for this Duke team, I think, than we expected uh, between Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach, Joey Baker. Like we we just expect, I think, that they're going to hit more threes than they have 
to this point in the season. And I hope that that is going to improve, but not just on the execution of, of the shooting, but there's, there's a little bit more around the shot selection and the offensive game planning that I think there's still room for improvement. Um, there were multiple times last night where Trevor Keels took a full head of steam into the lane and did not have the right angle to get to the basket, did not have the right angle to make the outlet pass. The same thing happened to Jeremy Roach, who you know is, a, is an effective college point guard, but is not really good enough to, to be getting in the lane against a Chet Holmgren and a Drew Timmy and making the plays that he needs to make to win. You know, he's got to be more creative than that to to really grab the the point guard role the way that we anticipate that he should. And that's what that's why we basically did not mention Trevor Keels and Jeremy Roach during the good, because you know they they played well, especially on defense, but on offense, I think there's still room for improvement for Duke. And by the way, Joey Baker, one of those threes that he made was a Bank. total, yeah, was a <laughs> was a total uh like like it should have should have been a terrible shot bank that he hey, that he that he caught um you, you so. know you know in vegas the atms are open 24 7 so that's where he went to get that, <laughs> yeah, that shot. right uh, uh cameron's not giving that giving that shot to him ever so and nor are uh, nor are a lot of acc arenas so i think as as good as as paulo is on offense and 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 sort of as automatic as he was feeling last night and as effective as wendell moore was at getting a tough bucket when duke needed it down the stretch there is still room for improvement on offense, which is crazy to say because Duke scored 84 points against what we think is the best team in the country. So, you know, if we want to nitpick, as you were saying, Donald, that's my that's my bad from this game. When it comes to three-pointers, we were eight for 30. And I feel like, you know, part of my nitpicky bad here is uh, Trevor Keels and Jeremy Roach. They combined five for 24 from the, fle- from the field. Uh, but a lot of the rushed, the only rushed shots we had were rushed threes in transition. And I feel like Keels and Roach, took the majority of those rushed threes. And really, you could tell they were off balance. They were trying to, you know, or, or just kind of leaning towards one side or the other when they could have just slowed down and maybe made an extra pass or just pulled it out and did uh, ran the offense, the half-court offense. But I think for them, they had a difficult game in trying to get into the flow of offense. Now, both had key moments, obviously, during the game. But over the course of the game, I don't think we need to have both of them combining for 24 shots and only making five of them. They need to be a little bit more reserved when it comes to their roles in the offense. But again, I think that's a really nitpicky thing because in the, in, in the flow of a big game like that, you're going to have some people who shoot bad, but I don't think they played bad. I just think they could do better with some of the rush threes in transition. So, so I'll agree with you guys, uh, Trevor Keels and Jeremy Roach, uh, our, our guys that we need to talk about during the bad section, not during the good section. That said, um, they each had some good things that they did during this game. Yeah, Trevor Keels, just two of 11, missed a couple of wide open threes, was only one of four at the free throw line. He, he, he did have six assists. And, and like I said earlier, he was one of the key guys who was drawing fouls by going in the lane. So he found ways to help us out. And he and Roach, I thought both of them played really nice defense on the Gonzaga perimeter players, um, especially Andrew Nemhart. Uh, you know, literally uh, just a couple of days ago against UCLA, Andrew Nemhart was the best player on the floor, scored 20 plus points and had, uh, you know, just a, a boatload of assists and stuff like that. He only gets six points, only six points against Duke, did not hit a single three pointer. Um, he, he had 11 assists, which is a huge number, but it took, he had six turnovers. So, you know, as, as great as Andrew Nemhart had been, 
earlier in the week and, and earlier in the season for Gonzaga, our, our perimeter D did a nice job on him. And the other thing I want to mention about Jeremy Roach, something that Sam said, uh, Sam, you talked about Jeremy Roach being the point guard, being the facilitator and such. I think, I think Duke fans need to adjust their expectations on him. He is not our primary facilitator. He really, he's really not Duke's point guard. I mean, like when Duke's coming down with the ball, you know, sort of walking it up when anybody could be the guy to start the offense, it's very, very rarely Jeremy Roach. It's almost always Trevor Keels or Wendell Moore. Really, it's Wendell Moore more than anybody else. Um, but Jeremy Roach is probably, you know, the third the third most facilitator. Actually, after Paulo, probably the fourth most facilitator on the floor at any given time. Um, and, uh, you know, look, this is a guy who he took that. He took a three in like with like three minutes left or so. Uh, maybe four minutes left. It just had me out of my chair screaming like, what are you doing? It was early in the shot clock. I thought one of my bads is I thought Duke Duke had poor shot selection at the time. Paula Bancaro took a couple of shots. I was like, that's a terrible shot. Why are you taking that shot? And, uh, and yet for all of that, Jeremy Roach has the game, what I think was the game-winning bucket with, with 40 something, 42 seconds left. He, he goes into the lane, he drives, and he scores a layup that was, uh, that, that was the bucket that made it from a one-point game to a three-point game. And after that bucket, Gonzaga was forced to foul the rest of the way down the stretch. Essentially, that was the bucket that made it so that Gonzaga could no longer catch up by playing defense. They had to hope that Duke would miss free throws. Um, huge shot for him. And, and, and so props to him. You know, as much as we're bagging on Keels and Roach here, they both had ways that they big time helped this team to succeed. Um, all right. You know, in terms of the bad, Donald, we got to talk about the cramps. What, what is going on? Can Duke hire, no offense, I, I'm sure there's someone who's gainfully employed as the nutritionist for the Duke basketball team who, who, who is a professional at their job. But what is going on with these cramps? This I, I don't know. And the thing is, is it, you could see it in the arena um, because, again, I was sitting down by the Duke, on the end where the Duke bench was. So at, after a timeout, I see Paulo at the end of the bench uh, with someone with the roller on his quads. And I'm like, oh, no, he's cramping again. Wendell Moore showed some signs of cramping a little bit. He was able to fight through it. And I think even Trevor Keels at some point was kind of like, you know, again, the guy who never gets tired showed some signs of fatigue. Uh, so I, I think those sort of things, like we had this happen in the Kentucky game in Madison Square Garden. Is it a neutral site thing? Uh, because uh, I want to see. That would see not be good. It, yeah, it <laughs> that be would good be problematic. We, we play a lot of neutral site games. Uh, but I think. The idea is whatever they're doing, guys either have to extra hydrate before the game. Like I'd honestly rather Paulo Bancaro go to the locker room during a game because he has to pee than go to the locker room to get an IV, right? Like we don't need to see the a band-aid. lot faster. It's a lot yeah, faster going lot out faster. than coming in, <laughs> right? And we don't need to see the, him coming back out with a band aid, knowing that he got an IV. We want him to be in this ball game because again, that could have gone a different way with him in the locker room getting an IV. It could have been where this team was, you know, as good as he was playing. Gonzaga saw that as a sign of momentum and would be able to use it to their advantage. So hats off to our team for staying in it while Paula was out. But again, we, we got to have it where our best players are on the floor. Yeah, I don't disagree. The last bad thing I want to bring up, um, Duke, Duke got owned on the boards pretty bad by Gonzaga. Uh, they out-rebounded us 42 to 31. Duke gets just seven offensive rebounds in this game. You know, like I said earlier, if we hadn't gotten to the free throw line, if we hadn't not committed turnovers, We'd be talking right now about how rebounds were, were one of the things that, that did us in in this contest. But, you know, on the other hand, it's worth noting, we we're playing against what maybe people thought was the best front line in all of college basketball. I think now maybe they'd say it's the second best front line in all of college basketball. So, uh, so props to us for, for getting that done.
All right, guys, we got one final thing we got to do before we go. We got to pick a player of the week. Um, not an easy choice this week. Uh, you know, how much are you weighing that Citadel game in your decision? You know, there are a lot of factors here. I see the worry on you guys' faces. Donald, I'll come to you first. Who's it going to be? Who's your player of the week? Uh, with all respect to a lot of guys that could have taken this home, I'm going to go with the leader. I'm going to go with the captain. I'm going with Wendell Moore for having two solid games. And again, not just filling up the stat sheet, but his leadership on the court, in the huddle with other guys who may be struggling, just keeping this team focused on the task at hand. There's a reason why he walked out of T-Mobile Arena with the championship belt as MVP. He's my player of the week. Sam, who's your player? I, by the way, I'm not picking Wendell Moore, and I'm hoping Sam takes the other guy that I'm not picking so we can split it three ways because there are three guys who are in the running here. Yeah, I was going to say there there are three people you could have considered. So Donald already mentioned Wendell Moore. I assume Jason's taking one of Paulo and Mark Williams, and and that that could be like the decision point here. I had decided before we started recording that I was taking Wendell Moore for a lot of the same reasons that, that Donald did, uh, which is not... I, I don't want this to be a slight at Paulo or Mark. I think Mark had one of his best weeks in a Duke uniform. I think Great. Paulo, uh, as much as, as, as well as Paulo played against Kentucky, this felt like his sort of national debut, right? He had the Slam Magazine cover a couple weeks ago, and now he's got this huge high-profile win against Chet Holmgren. He has, I think he had the highlight of the night in terms of like basketball skill, the play where he drove against Holmgren and went right into his chest and got the and one. Um, that was my favorite play of the game offensively for Duke. Uh, not like, you know, the, the, the prettiest like offensive design, but, but just the most impressive execution for him. But Wendell Moore, as Donald said, was the, was kind of the heart and soul of the team. And, and unfortunately for Paulo down the stretch, when uh, things got a little rough and Duke needed to come back, Gonzaga took a four point lead late in the game Wendell Moore was the one leading the charge. Wendell Moore was the one uh, getting the getting the tough buckets. Was the one forcing the turnovers. Paulo, unfortunately, was was sitting out with cramps. And and I think that Duke the the the, the nutritionist is going to figure out how to get Paulo back in the game. So he only uh, only has to take a few minutes off every night. But on this night, on this most important game of the of the early part of the season, Wendell Moore was the star down the stretch who won the game for Duke. So I am giving him my player of the week award. So it was a tough call for me. Um, and, and like you said, there, there are three guys who are very much up for consideration. I'm going to take Paulo as the player of the week. And, and, and the reason is this, you guys may have forgotten what I did against Citadel. <laughs> 28 points, eight rebounds, six assists. When you combine that with the 21 points, five rebounds, two assists that he had against Gonzaga in a game where because of cramps, he really only played you know, two thirds of the game or something like that. And, and for the entire second half, basically he was a shadow of what he could have been. Um, I, I don't think Duke is in a position for Wendell Moore and for other guys to be those heroes in the second half. If we don't have Paulo getting us out to a nice lead in the first half. Um, so, so I, I took Paulo and his 25 point per game average on the week. <laughs> as the reason I'm taking him as the player of the week. But yeah, it could have been any one of these guys. And I feel terrible for Mark Williams that we weren't able to, to honor him as well. I'm sure he's all broken up about it. He will get an opportunity <laughs> this season. Like there will oh, be yeah. a week when Mark Williams does all the things. Um, cause, cause the shot blocking and, and the offensive, the, the, the post moves that he's displaying 
um, it's it's getting there for Mark Williams. He is he has improved a lot even over the last couple of weeks. He had ten blocks on the week when you include the three that we are adding to our to our index. Um, so that it is a very very good week, and that's on top of everything else that he was doing very very well. Hashtag DBR official count. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's going to do it there for us, folks. Uh, a fun podcast as we celebrate uh, Duke's victory over Gonzaga. The Blue Devils are still undefeated. They are perhaps number one. We will find out when the poll comes out. Um, uh, by the way, we want to mention, we did not talk at all about Ohio State or the ACC Big Ten Challenge. M- much like we did with Gonzaga, we're going to be talking to an expert on Ohio State. We'll bring that podcast to you in the next day or so prior to that game. Um, uh, Duke's next big, big um, non-conference game, which, by the way, is the only remaining game on the schedule where Ken Pomeroy says Duke is not favored to win the game. He thinks Ohio State wins by one point. Every other game on Duke's schedule at this moment, Ken Pomeroy's computer projects that the Blue Devils will win. That's not to say we're going to go undefeated or only have one loss or something silly like that. But, you know, it's just worth noting. That's how big this Ohio State game is coming up. Quinn Quinn Cook said Duke's not the underdog. Amen. Never. Amen. He is absolutely right. So for Donald and Sam, I am Jason. This is pod number 362. Please stick with us. Please keep sending us email. I don't even know why I'm saying that because by the way, our inbox, it's getting hard keeping up with it. We, we got a lot of emails last night. The game ended and like, I think everybody in the Duke fandom thought I need to share with the uh, DBR podcast guys how I feel about it. But keep on sending them to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We love interacting with you. Like and subscribe to all that other stuff so that you're able to get the DBR podcast the moment it comes out. Look, these come fast and furious sometimes. When we got these games, look, this one's going to hit. The Ohio State preview is going to hit. We're then going to have an Ohio State recap. It's going to be like nonstop podcasts over the next several days, and you want to get all of them. So like and subscribe. Again, he is Donald. He is Sam. I am Jason. And this is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. <laughs>